Well, what I'm going to start sharing with you is about having an excellent spirit. And I've got four sessions. I got one tonight, two tomorrow, and then one on Saturday morning. And so I'm going to have four uh, points on how to have an excellent spirit. And if you'll receive this, I believe it will really minister to you and bless you. Amen. So let's turn over to um, Daniel chapter five. First of all, let me just read a couple of scriptures as we get into this. In Daniel chapter five, and in verse 12, it, uh, the background of this is where um, the king, the son of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, was just hardened towards God. He was insulting God. He got the vessels of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had brought from the temple in Jerusalem and he got all of these vessels out and they began to have a, brunk, a drunken uh, orgy in this thing. And they just were defiling and defying the God of Israel. And as they were doing this is where the man's hand came and wrote on the wall, many, many tinkle you farson or however you say those things. And nobody could interpret it and it scared the king. Look at this verse up here in verse six. It says, then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. That's the old English, the way it says it. But you know, basically it just scared this guy so much that his knees were knocking together. I'd love to have seen this. And anyway, he called for all of the wise men and for everything, everybody, and nobody could uh, interpret it unto him. And in verse nine, it says, then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his lords were astounded. And in verse 10, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords came into the banquet house. You know, it doesn't say clearly, but apparently she wasn't in there. She wasn't participating in this. Apparently this guy was doing this on his own without her consent. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, the way that this is worded, it's like, you know, this king, the real king, the guy who was ruling well and, you know, somebody who was acting like a king instead of like a kid throwing a party like this, says the king, thy father made a master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldean and soothsayers, Forasmuch as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, who the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. And so he called for Daniel and Daniel interpreted it, explained it to him and said, tonight you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting and the kingdom is departed from you. And that very night as he was giving this prophecy, the Persians entered into the city. And this is a great story. I hadn't got time to go into it, but it was prophesied that all of this would happen and that the Lord would dry up the river. And the way that they entered into Babylon, Babylon was an impregnable fortress that nobody could 
penetrate. And that's the reason that this king was just lulled to sleep and thought that nobody could come against him. Well, while he was throwing his party, the Persians actually diverted the river and they snuck in because he had these grates over the river, but they didn't penetrate all the way down. And when they diverted the river, they came in through that way. And that very night they conquered the city and killed Belteshazzar and, uh, or excuse me, that was uh, Daniel. What was the other guy's name? He was real close. Belshazzar was the king and they killed him and they exalted Daniel. So anyway, his prophecy came to pass. And then over in uh, Daniel chapter six, the successor of all of this, Darius saw that Daniel was such a favored man and so blessed that it says in Daniel chapter six and verse three, then uh, this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was found in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. And this story in the sixth chapter goes on to talk about how that the other uh, rulers over the land got jealous of him and because of it, this is where they threw him in the lion's den and all of those things happened. But I use these verses to show that because he had an excellent spirit, he was promoted and he was recognized and God promoted him. And what I believe that the Lord wants me to share with all of us here this weekend is about how you can have an excellent spirit. I'm going to give you some characteristics, some things that we have to do in order to have an excellent spirit. And just as it was with Daniel, and, and it doesn't always use the same terminology, but the same thing happened with Joseph. Everywhere he went, even as a slave, he had an excellent spirit or it was called the favor of God or the Lord was with him and the Lord blessed him. It uses different terminology, but people who have the blessing, the favor of God on them and this excellent spirit, it just, it's like cream. It rises to the top. And I'm telling you, this is important that you understand the things that I'm going to be talking about because we've got uh, an attitude in our society today that somehow or another, uh, hard work doing the right thing doesn't work. People have been using excuses and saying, but you don't understand, it's the color of my skin. I don't have this education. This person doesn't like me. And our society has become masters of excuses and reasons why we can't prosper and why things won't work and I'm going to be trying to counter that with these scriptures and showing you that if you have an excellent spirit, it causes promotion. God will bless you. And there's so many scriptures, I can't go into all of these, but one that comes to mind right now is Ephesians chapter six, where it tells servants to be subject unto their masters. And of course, at the time Ephesians six was written, that was talking about slaves being subject to uh, you know, the slave master. In our day and age, we could talk about uh, employees being subject to their employers, but it says not only to the good and gentle, but even to the froward, knowing that if any man, any man, matter of fact, let me turn over and read that because I don't need to skip over this. I'm coming back to Daniel, but look at this quickly over in Ephesians chapter six. In Ephesians chapter six, verse five, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, 
not with eye service. In other words, not just when people are looking, not just when somebody's inspecting. I'm going to be dealing with a lot of things and man, I could spend an hour on every one of these things. They need to be developed. But we again have become masters of only doing what's right when somebody's watching. And that's not what this is talking about. You know, I read a thing in uh, Reader's Digest where they put a billfold that had $100 in it and it had the name and it had a contact number, telephone number, address, everything. And they put it outside of a store and then they hid to watch and see what people would do. And I forget the exact statistics, but it was the majority, something like 60, 70% of the people that found that, they found that thing with $100 in it they looked and saw that it had all the contact information. And then what they did was look around. And if nobody was looking, they just pocketed it and walked off. And of course, the Reader's Digest people stopped them around the corner and said, this was a test. We put this out here. There was information in there. Why didn't you try and contact the person? And, and every one of them would say, well, we looked and we didn't see anybody. We thought nobody would know. What does that have to do with what's right or wrong? See, this is something that's just pervaded into our society. And sadly, even the church has been influenced by the world. We spend so much time watching the same movies, watching the same TV shows, listening to the same news that whether you'd like to admit it or not, most of us are more influenced by the world than we are influencing the world. And because of it, these attitudes have crept in. And we have a lot of people that just serve with men with eye service. There's a lot of people that when the boss is gone, man, you'll slack off. But when the boss comes, here comes the boss. I wasn't always a, a minister. <laughs> I was in the army. I've worked other jobs and I've been on places where, man, they just sat there and wouldn't work, wouldn't do anything until the boss came. And then you had to look busy and look like he's doing something. That is not an excellent spirit. And that's one of the reasons that people don't get promoted because God just doesn't bless that, that deceptive. It's a, it's a lie is what it is. I'm trying to restrain myself. Uh, I was thinking about all of this this week and I'm trying to restrain myself from ministering against lying because, uh, you know, you would think that all of these guys coming to a Christian conference, we shouldn't have to minister on lying. But man, there's a lot of things that are lying that we don't even consider. Exaggerating, saying that you'll be someplace when you aren't there on time, saying that you'll give eight hours to work and that you don't, and you take a 10-minute break and turn it into a 15-minute break and then go to the restroom after that and make it a 20-minute break. That's all lying. We could minister on that. But there's a lot of people, see, that they are serving their masters with eye service, and it says not with eye service, as man pleasers, thinking that you, your boss is your source. And that's not true. God is our source. Every good thing that we have comes from God. And it goes on to say, as, not as man pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to man. This is describing an excellent spirit, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether it be, whether he be bond or free. Man, this is an important statement that again goes contrary to our culture and contrary to what a lot of people think that these people don't care what I do. They, they, 
they don't care and I'm just doing it for them and as long as I'm pleasing them, as long as I don't rock the boat, as long as I don't do something real bad, you know, I just get the cost of living increases and things like that. You know what? That is not an excellent spirit. A person with an excellent spirit is someone that I may work for this person. They may sign the check, but I am doing this as unto the Lord. I am serving God with my whole heart and whatsoever I do, any good thing that I do, I'm going to receive from the Lord, whether I be bond or free, whether I'm the CEO or if I'm the lowest paid person in the deal. See, what I'm doing is describing an excellent spirit. And there's a lot of people that don't have an excellent spirit. They're going to do the minimum that it takes in order to be paid and not be fired and to get the cost of living increases. That is not an excellent spirit. And brothers, I'm telling you, we are shooting ourselves in the foot if we adopt this attitude that is prevalent in the world. We need to go back to the Word of God and start having an excellent spirit. And so uh, it says that Daniel was promoted because of this excellent spirit. It was found in him, this excellent spirit. Boy, this is important. Every one of us need to do what we're doing with every bit of our heart as unto the Lord. And I'm telling you, if you will do that, you will rise to the top. You'll be like a cork. They could take you to the bottom of the lake and you will rise again. And it doesn't matter whoever you are, whether you're bond or free, it doesn't matter what your situation is, God will promote you. And if for some reason you were working for a company or something that didn't reward an excellent spirit, other people would see that and somebody had come snatch you away from that company. I can guarantee you God is your source. God will bless you and prosper you. And if we do it, it says you will receive of the Lord. Don't do it as I service to men. Don't do it as men pleasers. Do it to God. And if you'll get this excellent spirit, I can guarantee you God is going to prosper you. And so we're going to be talking about this and sharing some things with you that I believe is going to make a huge difference in your life. Let me use this other uh, verse here. This is out of um, Psalms chapter 16, verses two and three. And if you were to read the whole Psalms chapter 16, David is the one that wrote it, but it was a prophetic Psalm. It was quoted in Acts chapter two, and it says David wasn't writing about himself. He was writing about Jesus. And it was Jesus saying that his soul was not left in hell. Neither did his body see corruption. So the whole chapter of Psalms chapter 16 is prophetic. It's, it's God speaking through David. Actually, Jesus speaking through him. And here's what he said in Psalms chapter 16, verse 2. He says, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. This is Jesus again speaking and he says his soul extends towards the excellent and he delights in that. And so I just want to say that God delights in excellence. God loves excellence. Here's the definition of excellent. It means of the highest or finest quality, exceptionally good, superb. And you know, this is not just our work, but this is everything that we do. You know, if you're building something, you ought to build it the very best that you can. Man, if you're 
You know, I've often had people come to me and ask, you know, that I'd pray with them because they're driving an old junker of a car and they need a new car. And there's a couple of people I remember I went out and I saw their car and their car was, you know, the floorboard was covered with French fries and paper and trash and you couldn't even step on the floorboard because there was something there. You know what? That's not excellence. You aren't taking care of what you've got and yet you're praying for God to give you a new one so you could trash it. Have you ever thought about that? If you aren't taking care of what you've got, well, then why would God give you something else to trash? I'm thinking of a person right now that's just kind of a slob. And, you know, they're always wanting something, but my thoughts are that if I was to give you something nice, you're going to trash it. It doesn't make me want to bless them. You don't want to give something to somebody who's not going to take care of it. There's people who won't take care of their house. You don't have a spirit of excellence. The things that you do, you do it trashy. I'm not saying these things to hurt anybody. I'm saying there's reasons why we're the way we are. Maybe you were raised this way. Or who knows what's going on? Maybe you've had some bad things happen. But I'm saying it is not a spirit of excellence when you just do things haphazardly and stuff. And God delights in excellence. And I already used those two verses out of the book of Daniel that God promoted Daniel and, and other people, even people that weren't born again, saw in him this spirit of excellence. And because of it, he was promoted. I think probably every man in here would love to be promoted. If you're working for somebody else, you'd like to be promoted to a better, better job, more influence. If you're working for yourself, you'd like to have more business. You'd like to have more people coming your way. If you're doing something, you want to do more. If you're in ministry, you want to reach more people. You want to build bigger and do better things. Every one of us wants more, and yet are we doing things with excellence? I believe that this determines to a very large degree how God can bless you. You know, I was just teaching on television about Joseph and Joseph, from the time that God gave him those dreams about him uh, raising up above his brothers and them bowing down to him, there was 13 years from the time he got those dreams until he saw the very first positive thing. Everything that happened to him was negative for 13 years. Sold into slavery. He maintained his integrity. He got raised up to a position of leadership in Potiphar's house, but Potiphar's wife lied about him, accused him of rape. He got put in prison and just everything bad happened for 13 years. And then all of a sudden he got his opportunity. And you know, these are small things, but it says in Genesis chapter 41, I believe it is somewhere around, I don't know, but verse 30, something like that. It says when they called for him and told him that uh, Pharaoh wanted to see him, it says that he, he cleaned himself, shaved, and put on new raiment. And you know, this is a small thing. I'm not one of these that you have to wear three-piece suits. I'm wearing jeans. I'm not saying we have to, uh, you know, dress by a certain standard, but he did take pride in the way he looked. He did present himself, and that's just reflective of an attitude. You've got to you got to impress people. People look at you and judge you by the way that you look. 
Thank you for a couple of head nods. <laughs> Not many people like that. And again, see, this is our society. You know, used to, you had to wear suits and you had to be dressed up and stuff, but now grunge is the thing that's in. People like these poverty pants <laughs> that have holes in them and they pay extra money for it. Man, I hadn't figured that one out yet. That boy, that just amazes me. But anyway, they, I had a guy come for a job interview one time at our offices down in Colorado Springs and I wasn't doing the interview, but I just happened to be walking by and I saw a guy walk in in shorts with holes in them and flip-flops on and an old dirty t-shirt that had grease on it and holes in it and his hair wasn't combed, he stunk, he wasn't shaven, he looked like he crawled out from under a rock. And I just saw him walk through, so I was kind of curious about where he went, and I saw him go into this one guy's office. So after he left, I went and I said, what was this about? And he said, oh, he came and applied for an IT position. He's a job applicant. And I said, I don't want you to hire him. And he says, well, here's his resume. I said, I don't care what his resume is, a guy that doesn't, I mean, he's coming for a job interview and he looks like that. He's not the kind of guy I want on my team. I don't want people like that. And you know, there are many of you that sit there and say, well, that's judgmental. No, you, you have to be able to evaluate a person and discern what their spirit, what their attitude is like. Did you know J.C. Penney, I don't agree with this, but it's the same principle involved. But J.C. Penney, the one who... Uh, you know, started that chain. At one time, it was the largest retailer in the United States. Anytime he went and hired an executive, he would interview him, but then he'd take him out to eat and he'd watch him. And if the guy salted his food before he ate it, he'd never hire him. Because that means that this guy just did things out of habit. He didn't actually discern what the situation was. He didn't think he's just a creature of habit and he wouldn't hire him. And you may sit there and disagree with that, but J.C. Penney bought, uh, built one of the largest uh, retail chains in the world and was very successful. And if you sit there and say, well, you shouldn't judge people, by, you, you're just somehow or another not, you need to get your head out of the sand. You can project what kind of an attitude you have. And again, I am not a guy that's in, I don't dress fancy. I'm not saying you have to be fancy. I'm not saying you have to have gold and jewels and, and uh, you know, something that tries to portray something that you aren't. But I'm saying any, and some people just look better than others. Amen. Some of us had not got a lot to work with. But you ought to at least do what you can with what you got, amen. Comb your hair, brush your teeth, put a breath mint in. And so the excellence here is just talking about doing the best you can, presenting yourself the best you can, exceptionally good, superb. And the word spirit here isn't talking about like, you know, spirit, soul, and body. It's talking about an attitude, a mental disposition, a way of thinking. You need to have an excellent attitude. You need to do everything that you can, everything that you do, the very best that you can as unto the Lord and not unto man. And I tell you, if we would do that, I am here to tell you that God recognizes that. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And He's a rewarder of those that have this 
excellent spirit and people who just do whatever they can the very best. You know, you may not be as talented as somebody else, but I can guarantee you, if you were to take a person who's super talented and put them up against a person who's got an excellent spirit, I believe the excellent spirit guy would win nine out of 10 times, even if he's not as talented. It's important that you get this attitude. And let me also say this, I am not talking about perfectionism. This is not the same thing. To me, a perfectionist is a person who, you know, has this tendency to always do things perfectly and is very critical and judgmental and obnoxious about anybody who doesn't uh, live up to their standard. It's not only having a high standard, but it's also critical and judgmental of other people. That's not what I'm talking about. That Hebrew word that was translated excellent right here, it just means preeminent. And the word preeminent means superior to others. And so you ought, to, you ought to strive to do everything you do with your very best heart. And this has a million applications. It also applies in our home. Man, I've talked to a number of people recently that have had marriage problems, and I'm sure that there's multiple things. It's, always, it's not easy to discern always what the problems are, but I've talked to a number of people recently that, you know, basically their marriage is on the rocks because they haven't had an excellent spirit attitude towards their marriage. They neglected it. They work hard at other things and then when they come home, they don't want to work hard at their marriage. You need to have an excellent spirit when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your kids. You need to give it everything you've got. And I can tell there's some people right now that are thinking, man, this is wearing me out already. I don't want to work hard at stuff. Well, then just be a slob and be passed over and always work at the lowest paid job. Why wouldn't you want to prosper? Why wouldn't you want to succeed? Something's wrong with you if you just want to be average. God didn't make anybody to be average. God has never made a piece of junk. There's a lot of people that, I mean, they, they never rise above a certain level, but that's not God's will for you. You know, I've been talking to Pastor Mark Coward down here and we were talking about taking the limits off God. Man, it lit a fire on the inside of him just the way that it did me. And we were talking about some things and I don't believe that there is a single person in the universe that has taken all of the limits off God. I've been working at it now for... 14 years with my whole heart and you see some of the things that have happened since I started believing God. But man, there is just so much more. God is so much bigger than any of us. If you feel like you've reached the pinnacle and that there's nothing to do, then I can guarantee you, you are limiting God. God is big. I don't care if you're a billionaire in here. There's more. You could, be, you could have more influence. You could accomplish more. It doesn't matter if your business is doing great. Doesn't matter if your home's doing great. Doesn't matter what's going on. God is bigger than any of us have ever tapped into. We've got to start looking and recognizing that there is more than what any of us have obtained to, and you aren't gonna reach it if you don't determine to have an excellent spirit, and I'm gonna start doing things the way that God wants me to do them. So I'm gonna mention four things that really cause you to have an excellent spirit. Tonight, I'm just going to deal with the first one and I'm not going to give you all four at once because they need explanation and I hadn't got time to explain it. And you may disagree with this if I didn't have time to explain it. So I'm only going to deal with one tonight. 
But you know, the very first thing that you need to do, I believe, to have an excellent spirit is recognize that this comes from your identity in Christ. And I want to emphasize this because when I'm talking about excellence and doing things the very best that you can and things like this, people have a tendency to try and do this in yourself based on your talents, on your abilities, on your wisdom, on your knowledge. And I tell you, in a, in a real sense, that is a recipe for disaster. Those of you who are very talented may think, oh no, this is just an encouragement. I can handle it from here. Man, I've got all kinds of skills. I'm awesome and I can do it. Well, you will crash and burn sooner or later. And then other people might sit there and think, well, you're talking about excellence and you're talking about prospering and I've never been the best at anything and I don't really have any great talents and abilities. I'm not educated. I'm not a communicator. And you can come up with all of these excuses and disqualify yourself. But let me share you some things with you about uh, Daniel and his friends over here in Daniel chapter one. He's the one that he was talking about that had this spirit of excellence. And in the book of Daniel, this is where Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem the fourth time. I don't know how many of you know this, but Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem four times and kept giving them chances and allowing a king to stand there if they would submit to him and they would all rebel at him. And finally, he conquered Zedekiah and took his two sons that were under him that were the successors to him, killed them as he watched uh, them kill his children and then put his eyes out, which Jeremiah, or excuse me, it was Ezekiel prophesied that that would be the exact thing, that he would be taken to Babylon, but he'd never see it. How does that prophecy get fulfilled? He put his eyes out and he lived in Babylon the rest of his days, but he never saw it. And so anyway, Daniel and his three friends were taken captive and here in the book of Daniel, it's discussing all of this. And so it told uh, the king, spoke unto one of his men and told them that they should go and bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. In verse four, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge and understanding, science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily uh, provision of the king's meat out of, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that the end thereof they might be brought before the king. And so they brought Daniel and his three friends we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that was their Babylonian name, Chaldean name. That wasn't their Hebrew name. And so they brought them. And look in verse 7. It says, Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mes, or however you say these names, Mishael, of Meshach and to Azariah of Abednego. Let me share with you what their names meant here. I wrote this down. This is a footnote out of my uh, living commentary. If you hadn't got that, you ought to get it. Man, it's awesome. I've written footnotes on over 21,000 verses over 30 something years and it's all available and we call it a living commentary 
because all of my notes that I write every month, it gets updated. Every time you go on our website, it automatically updates. And it says all four of the Hebrew names of these youths praised God. Daniel meant judge of God. Hananiah, Yah has favored. Mishael, who is God or what is God? Azariah, Jehovah has helped. The Chaldeans, Chaldeans didn't revere the God of the Jews, so they thought it fitting to change their names, but they couldn't change their hearts. These young men were committed to God with all their hearts. And the reason I bring this up is to say that here they were, they were brought to Chaldea. They were taught the Chaldean language. They were trained in all of their customs, which meant the history. In other words, they were trying to integrate them into the Babylonian society and uh, raise them up to serve the king. And in process, they changed their name to get away from names that identified them with the God of the Jews. They were changing this and they um, changed their names, but they couldn't change their identity. And you can see this because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel all kept uh, steadfast on their faith in God. They stood for God throughout the entire book of Daniel and because of it, they were promoted. And so my point here is that, you know what? We also, in a sense, have been brought into a strange country. Scripture talks about that we're strangers and pilgrims and it talks about how that this world is not our home, that we are seeking a heavenly country. And this society is trying to pour us into their mold and they're trying to conform us to their way of thinking. They're trying to change our identity from who we are as Christians. And you know, sad to say, I'm, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this. I'm, not, I'm gonna try not to spend a lot of time on this. But most Christians have been greatly influenced and molded into the thinking of this world. We have lost our identity. We don't know who we are. In most churches today, you can hear people that will have these self-esteem classes and try and get you to feel good about yourself. Did you know the Bible teaches that without me, you can do nothing. That you are nothing. You can do nothing. And that sounds offensive probably to some guys sitting right here, but that's true about yourself, your carnal self. Our identity ought to be in Christ. And as a matter of fact, if I was to read on through all of these things, it talks about Daniel said that God is the one that has given me wisdom. God is the one that imparts wisdom. Everything that we have comes from God. See, this is one of the things I think that really makes a clear distinction between perfectionism and a spirit of excellence because perfectionism is you in your flesh. You are trying to do things and it leads to pride. It leads to you thinking you're awesome because you do things better than everybody else and it leads to you condemning people. But if you do it as God is the source of everything, God is the one who's given me all of this wisdom, then instead of you taking pride in it, you're grateful. You're thankful. You know, humility isn't denying it, what you've got. If you got a talent, there's nothing wrong with saying that, man, you're an awesome audit, artist, that you're a great singer, that you can deal with uh, welding, metal, that you're a woodworker. There's nothing wrong with saying those things. It's only pride if you start taking credit and talking about how awesome you are and looking down your nose at other people because they don't have the same gift that you've got. But if you give God the glory for it, that's not pride. Pride all revolves around who's getting the glory for it. 
You know what? God's done a miracle right here. God has done a miracle. You're sitting in, counting this building over here. We put out over $50 million in six years, debt-free. We haven't taken out a loan. And when we bought this property in 2009, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. We had nothing and we've done it. But you know what? That's not pride because I'm not taking credit for it. I didn't do this. I, my uh, people here have told They've heard me say this many times that I feel like somebody sitting on a roller coaster strapped in, holding on for dear life, amen. And I'm just enjoying the ride. I'm not controlling it. I'm just blessed to be a part of it. I'm giving the glory to God. There's nothing wrong with you saying that I've got a talent and I've prospered and I've built this business as long as you give the glory and the credit to it, to God. God's the one that has given me these things. So see, you have to have, it all starts from your identity. And the truth is some of you think, but I just don't have any talents. I'm, I'm never going to be a boss. I'm always going to be the lowest paid person on the thing. You're just looking at things from your natural physical realm. But the truth is that in the spirit, every one of you, every one of you have been born again. You are a brand new person and you talk about having an excellent spirit Every born again person, your little spirit is perfect. Your little spirit is identical to God. And the problem in the body of Christ, one of the main problems is the fact that people don't know who they are in Christ. They have an identity outside of Christ. You say, well, my family's always been like this. We've just always been losers. None of us have ever mounted to anything. Your, your identity isn't in your spirit. It's not in who you are in Christ. You are looking at your genealogy. You're looking at the way you're raised. There's people that always come up to me and say, but you don't understand the era we live in is poor. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. You can prosper. It doesn't matter where you are. I've had people criticize me and say, you preach prosperity and that doesn't work overseas. You can't go into Africa and preach prosperity. Don't tell me that because I'm doing it and it's working. I see Hank down here shaking his head. He lived in Uganda for how many years working for us? Uh, two, and a half. two and a half years running our school and he preached prosperity. And I heard testimony after testimony of these Ugandans who didn't have money for uh, tuition and stuff. And instead of just dumbing it down so that it didn't take any faith, we taught them to believe God. And many of them saw God come through and supply their needs we are out in these places where many of them don't even wear clothes and we're teaching them how to prosper and do aquaponics and do things. And you know what? You can prosper. People who say, well, that's just an American gospel. That's not true. You may not live in a million dollar home out in one of those villages, but you'll have the best grass hut in the entire village. You'll have the fattest, biggest pig of any of them, amen. You'll have the best chickens of anybody. I guarantee you, you can prosper. And so if you're sitting there saying, but our area just doesn't, you don't understand my line of work. It's just at the moment, they're kind of out of business and it's not a good time. That thinking is not an excellent spirit. Did you know when we started this building process, the Lord told me to build a Bible college campus and start doing these things in 2009. 
May of 2009. If anybody remembers, it was about November, December of 2008 when they had quote unquote the great recession, when the stock market decreased 50%, when everybody was pushing panic. You know, in Colorado Springs, I forget the exact number, but it's close to 200 parachurch ministries. And I have access and uh, knowledge about what goes on in a lot of them through different connections. And I mean, there was only maybe one or two ministries out of 200 that didn't cut their budgets 20 and 30% before the recession even hit. They were anticipating it. They were expecting it. They were planning for it. And at that exact time is when God told me to start building $50 million and I didn't have a thing. And I'll just tell you, my future vision is over the next six years to have $180 million worth of stuff that I'm building and I don't have any of it right now. But it'll all come to pass, I didn't watch. And you know what, some people would sit there and say, you can't do that. You can't prosper during this quote unquote great recession. I just decided not to participate. God said he would supply all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My supply is in heaven. It's not the United States economy. It's not the Ugandan economy or the English economy or German or anybody else. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we limit God when we sit here and accept these attitudes. It is not an excellent spirit. We're looking around with other people and comparing ourselves with them and thinking, well, other people are struggling, so I guess I should struggle and we settle for less. That is not an excellent spirit. These Hebrews, they tried to change their identity through making them Babylonians, through changing their name, through doing this. But you know what? You can go on and read that Daniel in this same chapter, he just refused to compromise. He still trusted God. He did not take their uh, food. He didn't bend the knee when they tried to get them to bow the knee and do these things. They maintain their identity in their relationship with God. And all throughout the book of Daniel, we're going to go through this and share some things. You will just see over and over that they prospered because they knew who they were. They knew their covenant with God. Brothers, there is no reason for us to live like the rest of the world. And I know that there's people right here in this room that are saying, well, so you're sitting here saying that you're superior? Absolutely. <laughs> not in myself, not my flesh. Most of you don't know me well, but uh, you could ask the people that know me well. I don't have an exalted opinion of myself. I, I, man, I'm amazed at how much I can mess up. If I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me. You know, just back on December the 2nd, I made three television programs November the 31st, December 1st and 2nd, talking about this building. And it was, it was the strongest appeal I'd ever made. I told the people that God told me I needed to go for it and uh, ramp the construction back up and do things. And I needed $3 million extra dollars a month. And I prayed about it and did the best I could. I made those three programs. And on December the 2nd, I had just watched those three programs on my computer and I was sitting in my study and I thought, God, that was pitiful. I said, I could have done better than that. I did not do a good job. And I was just really beating up on myself and saying, I'm sorry. That's not going to produce response. And I was just 
feeling bad and beating up on myself. And I finally said, I said, God, but I did the very best I knew how. I said, I prayed about it. And I said, I did the best I could. And you knew I was like this when you called me. And I said, <laughs> you're just going to have to work with what you got. And I had no sooner got those words out of my mouth than a, a minister, a worldwide minister that most of you would know, he called me on the phone. He'd never called me on the phone before, but he called a mutual friend, got my telephone number, and he called me on the phone. And he said, Andrew, I just was watching your television programs and I want you to know they're awesome. And he says, you're gonna get all of this money. And he just started prophesying to me and ministering to me. And the fact that it happened less than five seconds after I had said, but God, you're just going to have to use what you got. I mean, the timing of this was so awesome that there was no way I could miss that this was God just trying to encourage me. So the point that I'm saying, I don't have an inflated opinion of myself. I know that if I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me. People could do things a lot better than I do. I'm not, God didn't choose me because I'm the sharpest knife in the drawer. But you know what? He chose me because I man made myself available. It's not whether you're a silver vessel, it's whether you're a surrendered vessel. Amen. And I just feel privileged and honored that God has chosen me and he's using me and stuff. So I had, don't have an inflated opinion of myself, but I do have an inflated opinion of who I am in Christ. And I think that there ought to be a difference between people that have God Almighty living on the inside of them and the person next to you that doesn't even know God. There ought to be a difference in your attitude when they say we're in a recession and the people that don't know God and their whole faith is in their 401k and things like this. Man, our faith should be in God. There should be a difference. There should be a difference when they're talking about sickness and disease coming around and this latest thing and the world is panicking. A Christian doesn't need to panic because we've got promises that says that he heals all of our diseases. And he says, even the ones that aren't written in this book, you'll be healed of all of those. We've got promises that should make us different. And let me ask you though, brothers, when 9-11 happened, how many in here panicked and wondered about, oh no, what's going to happen? And then you just, you were operating in total fear. There is no reason for a believer to operate in fear. I don't care what happens. David said, though the mountains be removed and cast into the sea, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, though the crops fail, though the herds don't reproduce, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. This is what we've got. And if our identity was in Christ and seeing who we are in Christ and looking at things through our covenant, then you know what? You should have an excellent spirit. You should have a faith spirit. You should be able to prosper when everything else is going sideways. But we limit God when we say, oh God, I'm just a man. I'm not just a man. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. I am the righteousness of God. I've got the mind of Christ on the inside of me and I can prosper. I can prosper regardless of what's going on. This is the attitude that I believe that Daniel was describing. They tried to change their identity. They tried to remake them into being Babylonians, but you know what? They stayed Jews at heart. 
they stayed in that relationship with God. This world is trying to pour us into its mold. And it says in Romans chapter 12, verse two, don't be conformed. The word conform means to pour into the mold of. Don't be poured into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Man, you have to fight against this. You have to fight against that mindset. Did you know it's easier to fall down than it is to rise up? Anybody can fall. You don't even have to have any muscle to fall. It's easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. The whole world system is going from good to bad. That is the fallen world that we live in. It's easier to get sick than it is to stay well. It's easier to be fat than it is to be in shape. It's easier to be lazy than it is to work hard. If you just scoot through life, coast through life, I can guarantee you, you are going to aim at nothing and hit it every single time. You're going to have to put some effort into this you are going to have to resist being conformed and being just like everybody else. We're going to have to quit looking at the movies and at television to to dictate to us what the traditional American is supposed to be like. We need to go to the Word of God and find out what God wants us to be. We need to see that He says, go into every city and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Brothers, we aren't just like everybody else. And I know some of you are resisting this and thinking, but you just don't know me. You don't know my failures. You don't know you. You're just looking in the mirror. You only know yourself based on your genes and your family history and what your past resume and your past marriages and things like this. And that's how you define yourself. But I'm telling you, the Word of God defines you differently than that. God's never made a loser. God's never made a piece of junk. God's never made anybody to just limp through life and barely exist. If you're one of these that gets up in the morning, gets dressed, drags yourself to work, and then drags yourself home and throws yourself down in front of the TV just trying to survive, and then you go to bed and then do it all over, you're missing life. God didn't make a single one of us to barely exist and to just struggle through God's got plans for us brothers that are better than any of us could ever imagine. You know, I had somebody come up tonight and mention this lady in Kenya that we've got and he reminded me about her. Her name's Dottie Heyman. And Dottie was just, she was a woman that was, I don't know, in her 50s, maybe 60 or something when she saw me on television and she was just driving back and forth to work and she heard me talking about some of these things. And Dottie at nearly 60 years old, I don't know how old she was, but um, she had never been out of her holler in her life. That's what she called it, a holler. I mean, she's country. She makes me look posh. <laughs> this woman is country. She brought me a five-gallon jar of pickled venison that she shot and pickled herself. When, and anyway, she left... She left um, where was, did I say North Carolina? West Virginia is where she was. She left there, had never been out of her holler, drove all the way across the country to hear first time she had ever been more than 20 or 30 miles from her home, 
came out here, got fired up by the word of God, got full of it on her missions trip. She went to Kenya and God spoke to her and told her that's where she was supposed to go. And she left her kids. Her husband had died, but she had grown kids. She left everything and had $500 and headed for Kenya. And she's been there now, I don't know, over a decade, 12 years or something like that. She's adopted, I forget how many children, 12 children or something like this. She supports all of these orphans. She had people just right down the road from her, less than a quarter of a mile, circle a church and set it on fire and kill every person in there. And if anybody tried to run out, they shot them. And here she is, a white woman amongst all of the black faces there. And this woman is over there by herself and just the happiest woman. We did an interview with her and, and uh, we're gonna be using it on television soon. And she said a couple of times, she says, I'm the happiest person on the planet. This is what God's got for me. And this woman, is just on the other side of the world. She says, I'm going to die in Kenya. These are my children. This is my place. And she's given her life to it and she loves it. And that's what she was made for. And I tell you, there's so many people that are missing what God really made you for. You're just settling for security. You're playing it too safe. I tell you, if you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. You need to be going for it. You know, my sister just died this week. I'll be leaving a couple of days to go to her funeral. And she loved God and she made a difference. She touched people's lives, but it's made me think a lot about that. And you know, when we die, is anybody going to miss us? Is there going to be a void? I know you don't like to think about this, but you know what? The only time you've got to change it and to make adjustments are now. You need to think about it before instead of after it's all over. God made us not just to occupy space, but to make a difference. We had a woman Tuesday night, a young girl and one of our students that came and she's been listening to Steve Bartlett, one of our resident evangelists. And man, he's been stirring people up to go out and witness. And this young girl, Jessica, came up and she had never led a person to the Lord, but she, she goes around and buys stuff in front yards uh, that are, you know, uh, giveaways and things like this. And then she takes it and resells it. And that's how she makes her living. And she witnesses to everything that comes around. And she brought another woman, Sarah, with her on Tuesday night. And she says, I got to lead this woman to the Lord. And Sarah was just beaming. And, and she started making a difference. She started believing that her life was here to impact other people. And now she's out winning people to the Lord. And she was just beaming. I don't want you to raise your hand on this, but I can guarantee you the majority of men in here have probably never led another person to the Lord. I'm not saying this to condemn you, but I'm saying that most of our life is all about, you know, getting, oh God, I need this. But God made you for more than that. And you would find out that if you would, if you would start having this excellent spirit, if you would start believing God that he's got more for you and start putting some effort into this thing, start ministering to other people, that you'd literally lose yourself. You'd get to where you don't care about your needs. Who cares 
about all of this stuff. You'd find, you'd find people on the other side of the world that you could give yourself to, start orphanages that you could invest in people. And we've got people, Hank and Mary Lynn's went to Uganda for us and invested years of their life over there and helped us. And I tell you, it's just amazing when people start recognizing that God's got a greater purpose for them than just making a living and getting all you can, canning all you get, and then sit on your can. There's more to life than that. God's got a purpose for you, but you aren't going to find it until you get this excellent spirit, until you start recognizing that, you know what? I am not just like my family. I am not just like the other people that work for this business. I am not like these people. I'm different. I've been born again. I've got the Spirit of God. You need to switch your identity. You need to find out who you are in Christ and recognize that there is no loser spirit on the inside of you. If you're depressed, discouraged, feeling like you can do nothing, you have nothing, I can guarantee you, you don't know who you are in Christ. Because in Christ, you're absolutely awesome. In Christ, you ought to be able to make a difference. Just like this girl I was talking about, Sarah, that got born again this week and they brought her to Tuesday night class. You know, I spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on television and radio and books and tapes and stuff trying to reach people. And yet here's a person right here in Woodland Park that had never heard of me. I never reached. I'll never reach. I could spend 10 times what I'm doing and I can't reach her. But you know what? Jessica could. She was in Jessica's world. She was under Jessica's influence. God may not call you to do what I'm doing or what anybody else is doing, but every one of you, I can guarantee you there's people that watch you, people that you do business with, that you buy gas from, that you buy groceries from, your neighbor, just all kinds of things. There's people that you know that I couldn't reach them if I spent a thousand times more than what I'm spending. I just can't reach them. I'll never reach them, but you can. And they need you to have this excellent spirit. They need you to recognize that, man, you are different than them. You're alive. They're dead. There ought to be a difference. If you put a live person and a corpse next to each other, you should be able to tell the difference between them. <laughs> You should be able to tell the difference between somebody who God said that you shall be above only and not beneath the head and not the tail. And yet you take the average Christian and put them right next to their unsaved neighbor. You can't tell any difference. They're afraid of the same things. They're worried about the same things. They watch the same junk. They have the same lust. Something's wrong with this pictures, brother. I'm, I'm telling you, God's not mad at us. I'm trying to stir you up. If I don't stir you up, you're going to settle to the bottom. Some of you have already settled to the bottom. I'm trying to tell you that God made us for more than what most of us are living. We need to go for it. We need to start believing for things. And again, get out of this mindset, but that's not me. Yes, I'm talking about this is you. I'm, I know you better than you know you. Because I know that every one of us has the spirit of Christ and I know Jesus and I know Jesus would not tolerate and put up with the sickness, the poverty, the depression, the discouragement, the fear. His goals would be bigger than your goals if he was living in you. And the truth is he is living in you. He just doesn't get to live very often. Yeah. 
But every one of you have this potential. Every one of you have the potential of reaching your world, a world that I can't penetrate, that somebody else can't penetrate. You've got to recognize your identity. Don't be poured into this mold. Don't be like everybody else. Don't figure that you're just a nothing like everybody else. To me, this is where a spirit of excellence begins is finding out who you are in Christ and recognizing that, Father, I'm no longer an old sinner saved by grace. I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace and I'm the righteousness of God. And I can do what God said I can do. I have what God says I can have. I'm believing for something big. You need to start believing for something. You need to recognize who you are and that God made you for something awesome. You know, one of the things that I love about our Karis Bible College is that we have people come in here and they are just average. They're discouraged. They're fearful. They want, when they get here, my God, what have I done? And we have people that are literally panicking when they get here, but they sit under the word a while and we see them come in one way and they leave another way. It's like they're crawling, coming in. And when they leave, they're at a dead run. And I mean, they have found out who they are and it's, it's not because it's just like type A personalities. We're able to take type A personalities and help them reach their full potential. We can take any personality. We can take anybody. I don't care what your background is, how much you've been hurt. I don't care how negative things in your life are. You come in and you sit under the word of God four hours a day for two or three years. And by the time you leave here, you're going to have a different attitude, a different identity. And because of it, you'll have a spirit of excellence. You'll start believing for something that is superior to what other people are believing for. And if you're one of those who's thinking, well, there's nothing special about me. You've missed my whole message tonight. There is something special about you. If you're born again, you're special. You got God living on the inside of you. That makes you special. You've got covenant and promises that makes you special. It says he, his delight is in the excellent in the earth. If you understand who you are and get this attitude and start believing for something more than nothing, I guarantee you God delights in that. It says in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect in his sight. God is seeking. He's looking throughout the whole earth. Did you know he's here tonight? The Spirit of God is here tonight. And he's trying to stir people up and get you to start believing for something more, to start having an excellent spirit instead of a mediocre spirit, instead of a loser spirit. He's trying to stir you up. And the answer, the response should be, God, don't look any further. Here am I. God, I'll do it. Did you know God's not going to force you? The Lord loves you. The grace of God, he will love you. I don't care if you're here depressed and discouraged. And if you're determined to leave here depressed and you're fighting everything that I'm saying, do you know what? God will love you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he'll meet you. He loves you, but he loves you so much. He's not wanting you to stay the way that you are. And I'm trying to say, and I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God has more for you. But you've got to start believing for it.
Did you know that Daniel and his three friends, they could have been sitting here thinking, man, our family, probably, it doesn't say, it just says that they took these young boys, but probably their families were killed in front of their eyes. It was brutal what happened when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem the last time. They probably saw their families killed. They had been taken from their home. Their entire nation was destroyed. Probably friends were killed. They were made eunuchs, which uh, limited <laughs> their experience. You know what? They could have been griping about a lot of stuff. And yet they had this excellent spirit. And because of it, they just got promoted. They actually ruled over the entire nation and God used them. And here we are nearly 4,000 years talking, 4,000 years later talking about these guys because they were in this terrible situation that most people would have felt justified griping and just complaining and talking about it's too bad, I can't do anything. And yet they were still believing God. That's part of an excellent spirit. They just knew who they were. They, they lived with a sense of destiny. You know, I read uh, Ronald Reagan's um, biography and I'm not here to promote anybody or anything. You're, you're entitled to your opinion, whatever it is, but I'm not gonna agree with you or we'd both be wrong. So, um, but I believe that Ronald Reagan was one of the best presidents that we ever had, certainly in my lifetime. And in Ronald Reagan's book, he said himself that when John Hinckley shot him, that he should have died. The doctor said there was no reason he should have survived. He came very, very close to death. It was miraculous. And when he came through that, he said he felt a sense of destiny that God spared his life for a purpose and it totally changed his attitude. And instead of playing the politics and trying to appease the other side and wondering about what people thought, he knew that God spared his life for a purpose. And man, he just went straight ahead and did what he knew that God wanted him to do against all odds and against all criticism. And I'm saying that every one of us needs to live with a sense of destiny, a sense of purpose. And I see that in Daniel and his three friends. That was part of this excellent spirit you can't go around thinking, well, I'm just like everybody else. There's nothing special about me. In the natural, that may not be so. You may not be the tallest, the biggest, the strongest, the best looking, the most talented, the most gifted, but I guarantee you in the spirit, you are identical to Jesus. You have his wisdom. You have his mind. I tell our students all of the time that, man, they get an illustrated sermon every time I minister because I used to be an introvert and couldn't look at a person in the face. I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything that I'm doing. And yet God has changed everything around for me and I'm speaking to millions and potentially billions of people and I'm doing that that I can't do. And it's just an illustration. If God could use me, he could use anybody. I'm telling you brothers, you have been selling yourself short. You need to first of all, find out who you are in Christ. Recognize that maybe you can't do it, but through Christ, you can do all things. That God living through you is awesome. Over in 1 Corinthians 1 you see your calling brethren that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the weak things of the world and foolish things of the world, things that are despised and base 
and things that are nothing to bring to naught things that are. And the reason he does that is so that no flesh would glory in his presence so that he would get the credit instead of you getting the credit. It's actually healthy for you to have um, attitude that, oh God, I can't do anything without you. As long as you don't stop there. If you can go beyond that to God, I can't do it. But through you, I can do all things through Christ. If you can put these two apparent contradictions together, it makes you strong. But sadly, most people camp on one side or the other. I'm nothing. Oh God, I can do nothing. And you just dwell on your nothingness or you start thinking about I'm awesome and you just happen to leave off without Christ. I, I, I can do all things. And you forget to mention through Christ and you get to dwelling on your accomplishments. That's deadly. But if you can put the two together, then I'm nothing but through Christ, man, I can do anything. That makes you a powerful, powerful force for the Lord. And so this excellent spirit that I'm going to be talking about all week long, it begins with finding who you are in Christ, getting your identity in Christ and not just in yourself. Forget your resume. Forget where you're coming from. Forget your background. Where you come from is not near as important as where you're going. But nobody in my family's ever done this. That doesn't matter. You're looking at the wrong family. You're part of a new family. And I guarantee you people in your new family are doing exploits. Amen. They're believing God. God's got great plans for every one of us. And we've got to, first of all, just establish this identity that I'm going to forget the things that are behind. And I'm going to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith and praise God. I'm going to obtain those things. That's part of this excellent spirit is finding out who you are in Christ. You know, if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know Jesus, I would assume that probably the majority of guys here are believers, but you know, somebody might've come, uh, has been invited. We welcome you. We want you here. But if you don't know Jesus personally, I can guarantee you, you need to be born again. And if you aren't born again, if all you are is just a religious person, and you believe that there's a God and you say, well, isn't that enough? The Bible says in James 2, 19, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. That's a very, very sarcastic statement. You believe that there's one God, oh, good for you. You hadn't done anything the devil hasn't done. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. You got to do something the devil has never done. And that is you got to submit your life to the Lord, not just believe that he exists, but bow the knee. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You have to make Jesus your Lord. And that's more than just mouthing the words. You have to make a commitment. This isn't a promise that you'll never fail because you can't keep that promise, but you have to be willing to bow the knee and submit yourself. And when you do fail, he's gracious and he'll deal with that, but you have to make him your Lord. If, if there's anybody here tonight who's never done that, I don't care if you go to church, I don't care if you're a good person, there's gonna be a lot of good people in hell. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It's all about, have you made Jesus your Lord? Have you ever confessed him as your Lord? If you've never done that, you need to do that tonight. And then a second thing that every person in here needs is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
You must be born again is what Jesus said. And then he also commanded those who were born again. He says, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you be endued with power from on high. And he was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak with other tongues. And I know that we've got people here from every different background and there's many people probably they would say, well, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but I don't believe that you have a second experience. I don't believe that you speak in tongues. <clears throat> I hadn't got time to teach on all of that, but I'm telling you, I do believe that there is a separate experience where the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Speaking in tongues is one of the most important things you can do Personally, the things that I'm talking about tonight, about stirring yourself up, recognizing your identity, it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man, talking about a person apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You need the quickening power of the Holy Spirit to reveal God and to reveal God's will to you. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, the number one difference in my life is that it's just like somebody uh, took my blinders off, that they unlocked my brain. All of a sudden I could understand spiritual things. The Word of God came alive to me. I couldn't open the Bible without just having God scream at me. I'm telling you, the power of the Holy Spirit is not negotiable. If you want to succeed, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. And I tell you what, it will give you power. Jesus said, you will receive power. Talking to people who are already born again, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me. You need this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And somebody might've come here not realizing that I was one of these tongue talkers because on television, I know I'm so quiet and just sit there and I don't say glory to God. And so <laughs> you didn't realize what you were getting into, but I'm telling you, you're in a Holy Ghost place. We believe in speaking in tongues. And we would like to invite you to join us. And somebody said, well, I don't believe you have to speak in tongues. I don't believe you have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. It's a great privilege. It's an honor. Somebody said, well, do you believe you have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues to go to heaven? No. You can go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you can get there quicker because you aren't going to have any power and you're going to die of something along the way. Amen. But why would you not want a gift from God that he says would give you power that would cause you to understand spiritual things? I'm telling you, you need this. It's life changing. So I first of all want to say if there's anybody here who isn't absolutely certain that you've been born again, that you are a believer, not a church member, not religious, but that you have been changed on the inside that Jesus is your Lord. If you aren't sure of that, or if you've done that, but if you have never received this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I want to pray with you and help you. That is, that is the greatest, those are the two greatest steps towards 
a spirit of excellence is you have to make Jesus your Lord and receive his power so that he can work these things through you. Is there anybody in here tonight that just raise your hand and say, I need one or both of those. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Just be bold. Keep your hand up a second. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. 